Hey guys, welcome to Fuck Small Talk. I'm your host, Mariah Joe, life and recovery coach. I have my master's in sociology and a few certifications in nutrition and behavioral health. I'm also a certified peer recovery specialist, which is a fancy way of saying I use my own experience with addiction and mental health to help others heal too. And I'm here to say fuck that, to fake fluffy talk for the sake of fitting in. You don't need to fit in, you belong. Let's dive into this week's big talk topic. Welcome, Kelsey. Hello. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm so excited. I can't believe that it is officially Fuck Small Talk and you're here. Like, well, I, I mean, I, I can believe it. <laughs> as, I'm sure can we'll, believe it. as I'm sure we'll get into, but like, this is just an exciting full circle moment for me. But I know being in your shoes, what that must feel like for you too. So this is just so exciting on both ends. Yeah, it's been like an out of body experience actually like being a host and I'm like, oh holy shit, like it's a dream that's come to life and I I, I want to just start off by kind of introducing you a little bit. Um I did a little bit of an intro explaining who you are. However, when I hired you as my coach, what was it like 2 years ago now? Mm-hmm. When I yeah, got I think coach, it was 2 summers ago. Maybe? Yeah. And it, I got into one of your first programs um, that I invested in um, because you are a phenomenal business and mindset coach. And you've helped me so much in all my growth. Like I, I found you on Instagram and I was like, have to have to pull the trigger on this one and learn from you directly one on one. And so, yeah, a little over two years ago, two summers ago, reaching out to you and asking you to help me create part of the coaching program that I built called PRISM. I'm going to dive into that a little bit more on a different episode. PRISM is not active right this minute. Uh, I am trying to figure out a million things in my life. However, creating that program is like the catalyst of like who I am as a coach and how I want to move forward as a recovery and wellness coach with my clients. And so, I don't know, I just can't thank you enough. And I know that coming to you, I mean, to to be fair, you're you were just like a coach that I was learning from online and you weren't necessarily like speaking recovery or anything like that. But I came to you with what PRISM was all about. PRISM stands for a practice of recovery and building an intuitive spiritual mindset. And you and I have always connected on the spirituality level and the growth mindset level and everything that we're trying to do with our businesses. But I want to hear a little bit about what that was like for me coming to you to ask you to help me build this program that was surrounded around recovery. When you were um, at that time, I had no idea. To me, you were just like this rock star that I was so excited to be working like under and asking for advice, you know, um, but I did not know. Again, I have this tendency of putting people on pedestals. And I think I did that with you really early on because I was like this badass Kelsey. I'm in her class. She's my coach and she's teaching me all these things. And I didn't recognize that you were in the middle of trying to figure out a recovery journey of your own at that time. I had no clue. Yeah, I love that you brought this up. And it's just like so many light bulbs are going off in my head. So one angle that I've really always tried to keep at the forefront in my coaching is relating to people on a human level. That has been something that has been um, a common thread in how I approach coaching and how I approach leadership is 
meeting people on that human level and making sure that everyone that comes into my coaching spaces, whether it's for a single session or a longer duration with me is to meet them where they're at and make sure they feel seen, heard, and understood. That is the big thing. Uh, that's very important to me that we'll probably dive into why that's so important to me. But I remember when you came to me and you came to me with the idea for PRISM and you shared your recovery journey with me and it just lit so much up in me because at the same time, I had I was deeply questioning what my relationship with alcohol looked like. I knew that it was a coping mechanism. I knew that it wasn't... Um, it wasn't best for me to keep alcohol in my life, but I was still at that like sober curious in that sober curious language or using that sober curious language. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you came to me with the idea for prism, I was so excited about it because I know how beneficial and helpful that will be for people uh, to go through. But also it, it helped me really see that a addiction isn't necessarily something that we choose. And no one grows up and says, oh, I want to be an alcoholic or I want to struggle with a substance. I want to have this unhealthy co coping mechanism, right? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So, so it, again, it's just like I could feel so much of your passion for what you wanted to do. And I could feel myself in you. It was like you were me five years ago when I started my coaching program. And at that time I was focusing specifically on helping women heal their relationship with food and body, which now full circle, my struggles with eating disorders in my late teens, early twenties, and my struggles with addiction, it's, it's basically a lot of the same thoughts. So you said something really, really cool to me at one point when I came out about my sobriety and started to be more open and sharing my journey was that, um, I was living a recovery lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of like how I was approaching spirituality and healing food and body, it's just for me, alcohol was still in the equation at that time. Yeah. Like you're doing all of the things and still um, relying on alcohol, like in the evenings or weekend or whatever it was, you know, to get you through really difficult emotions or moments that you were just um, kind of spinning your wheels on, which I super freaking related to. Obviously, any of us that have dealt with any form of unhealthy coping mechanism, which, you know, dare I say is nearly all of us, you know, at some point in our lives, you know, I just didn't, I had no clue like what you were up against or anything that was going on within your marriage or within your personal life or as a mom or anything. Like I just, you know, I literally just invested in myself to learn from you. And that's just how it was. Um, but it's been so interesting. I found maybe it's like an age thing. Like, is this what wisdom is? I don't know. But uh, I found that like, as I have clients of my own, I had, I don't know, I feel like I go into things like expecting. Um, I, I'm I'm unlearning, really, that there are certain people on certain levels and other people on either lower or higher levels, whatever. I'm unlearning that made up concept that I had somehow in my mind that like some people are on pedestals, some people are like not quite like air quote like there yet. Like mm -hmm. we are just all teaching each other everything all the time. Like I've learned so much 100%. from clients. Like I, I never, I, I did not think 
I didn't really know, I guess, what to expect when I started taking clients one-on-one. But every time that I work with either a client or a sponsee of mine, even like, you know, in the 12-step program that I'm part of, a newcomer comes in and I swear I learn more from them than I'm able to like give them for knowledge. <laughs> it's it's wild, isn't it? When you really start to humble yourself and open yourself up to learning from everyone. I've heard it said we're all we're all walking each other home, right? Like we all have something to give and some sort of life experience. I also firmly believe that if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah, exactly. Like, why are you not going towards the people that like make you more curious, make you challenge your thoughts? Like, I love that book, Think Again by Adam Grant. It's one of my favorite books. And it just is challenging like your mind. If you if you feel comfortable in your thoughts and that things are like you think that you know everything, that's a huge red flag. Like you're a human being on planet Earth. Go stretch. 100%. And <laughs> isn't it interesting too when you learn from people that, you know, I hate to, I hate to use the whole word levels, right? Uh-huh. If we like classify people by levels, it just, that feels kind of bullshit to me. Uh, <laughs> I think we all have something to teach each other. I think we are all learning lessons from one another and that's part of the human experience, right? Mm-hmm. But when you start to, when you learn something from someone that you would maybe put on a level below you, right. it's like, it doesn't matter where that information came from or how you learned the lesson. It's the it's the fact that you learned the freaking lesson. Right. And that just brings me right back to that concept of like judgment and instantly judging someone else because you are assuming or thinking that they're in a certain place in their life. Um, And in a way, like I never really formally apologized to you. I feel like I really want to uh, and accept it if you want. But like I put you on a pedestal and was like, Kelsey, this, you know, human being that is like superior to me. I will learn all the things through her. And in doing that, and you're not the only person that I've done that before to, you know, teachers and professors and other coaches, you know, counselors, you know, I just, I, it's a way of dehumanizing them. And in a way, when we do that, we don't give them permission to have feelings or hardships. We don't even ask how they're doing because it's like, you have something that I am paying for to earn, to get from you. And, And not like I went into your coaching program thinking that, but I just, I didn't even I was so on autopilot about it that I was like, oh, this person clearly has everything figured out because she has this bomb ass coaching program that I'm, you know, investing in myself to be part of. And so I didn't even think to ask if you'd figured everything out in your life or where you were at or if you were happy. You know what I mean? I don't know. Finding out like a lot of things after I'd been enrolled and started to talk through Prism and my own personal struggles with you um, because I love I love love your approach to coaching. and. It's exactly how I model. I've like learned through you and I've modeled my coaching programs and the way that I teach and coach and help, you know, when I'm a peer support and speaking with clients, I'm just, you know, it's, it's person-centered work. It's, you know, you're a human being first and then everything else, we can figure out everything else around that, you know? hundred percent. And I respect that. I, I, I really truly do. And I think it's something I've learned in leadership to lead from your, I don't want to butcher this, lead from your scar, not from your wound. So I try to lead with my best foot forward, right? It's like, 
Um, I am a human being and I have figured some things out, but I'm nowhere near like enlightened or arrived, right? I do aim to teach from the lessons that I've learned, but also when it comes with growth and healing, it's cyclical and it's not linear. And you may find yourself in a position like I did where I had healed a bunch of shit and there was still a wound that needed to be looked at that resurfaced a bunch of shit that I thought I had already worked through. And it's confusing when you're going through that place. I think anyone can relate to this. You have these moments where it's like, I thought I've dealt with this already. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, how am I back here? And then God, how am I back here? For me, it's the negative self-talk and the shame that follows all of that going like, I just kick myself so quickly in those moments to be like, dude, like I went through this in my early recovery and I got through it fine. And I've, I do that a lot because I'm coming up on four years in recovery this fall and feeling like this has been the hardest year of my recovery has me down sometimes, not going to lie. I'm like, I feel like, yes, obviously I'm like, I'm doing big things like launching this podcast. It's so cool. And on top of that, I'm like emotionally, mentally, spiritually, like absolutely this year proves to me that healing is not linear. There's no such It thing. is absolutely not. Like this year, mind fucked me. Like yeah. this year, am I, I mean, of all of the years, it has been the biggest mind fuck. And I will also say to that, we don't give ourselves enough credit for what we have been through and how, yes, healing isn't linear and we are also healing from experience. Totally. So it's like, we, we can't just discredit all of the work that we've done to get to a certain point, because I know at this point in my recovery, I wouldn't have been able to stay sober if I didn't have the other years of work that I had already put into myself. Yes. That brings me back to what you said about levels, right? So when we're like, and that brings me back to that judgment thing. Like when we are saying like, this person is on a higher level than I am, that's a judgment that one, we're dehumanizing them, thinking that they don't have any problems or whatever else. Mm -hmm. And two, we're judging ourselves, thinking that like we aren't good enough or mm -hmm. whatever. We're not far enough along, whatever language you want to use. The time that I think that it is valuable and valid in using that like level talk, and I do it sometimes, um, is when you are comparing yourself to you. And okay. I think it can be healthy. I think that when we think of like like leveling up, like I remember you saying like, welcome to your up level. You've said mm -hmm. that to me so many times when you were coaching me and I, it really felt good knowing that like I am visibly showing up at a more confident, more um, just prepared version of myself through the hard work that I've done through coaching or through recovery or whatever. Like I've shown up, I've done the work and I've gotten the result. And that's exactly what I'm here to do. And so like when we can compare ourselves to like leveling up to ourselves, to like a past version of ourselves, I think that's where that can be really useful. Um, there was something else that I was going to say though, too. No, as you're saying that, I mean, I, I absolutely 1000% agree. And that has also been something that has been really helpful for me to take ownership of, of growth and work that I have done is when I compare myself to myself, not in a judgmental criticizing kind of way, but more so this version of me, it, it takes credit for this version of me, essentially the way I hear that it 
from you is this version of me. I tr- I take credit for the work that I've done. And it's, it's acknowledging that this version of me is more resourced, is uh, more resilient, is more compassionate, is more um, willing to withstand the hard days and or the hard days maybe become hard hours or become hard moments versus more patient, patient, right? More understanding. Like I think about how really it's like the stretch and capacity of how resourced we are, where we don't slip back into these um, destructive tendencies or self-destructive tendencies where we're now able to hold more and handle more and move through it quicker, not in a bypassing kind of way, but in a way that is more compassionate, if that makes sense. Yes. Yes. I picture like, so I've done that a lot in my last year there. Uh, you were part of my, we'll get to, we'll get to um, like two years ago when I was in your coaching program and like how my world completely turned upside down uh, un- unexpectedly. Um, mm-hmm. But um, kind of explaining like, um, I used to be really down on myself that I felt right now, like I'm not as healed or as patient or as self-compassionate or as driven, you know, I'm not like achieving as much daily or whatever it is as I was in early recovery. I feel that way to my core that I'm not like doing as much or whatever it is as I was beforehand. And so that's where I've I really caught myself in those negative head spirals going like, but I used to feel so much more healed than this. Um, but it w- I was doing better and now I'm not doing as good as I used to be, you know, and I've used a lot of that language to kind of uh, shame myself, I guess, like where I'm at. That's what it feels like to me. It doesn't feel good when I have those thoughts and I talk to myself like that. But something that like saved me in my recovery and like I kept moving forward after this for sure with the termination when I pictured it like um, I pictured it like a staircase like a winding staircase, you know, like those old, like I picture like a metal staircase, right? So when I first started recovery, I was on like the bottom rung and like, you know, you slowly go up the windy staircase, you're on like the second tier and then like maybe the third tier. But if there's like 20 floors of stairs, you know, like that thing will wind around 20 times and eventually you reach the top, right? Like it goes around, you know, like that saying like what goes around comes around. Like that's Mm -hmm. how I felt like, like my life is, especially since I entered recovery. So like, I got through those steps at the rate that I got through those steps in early recovery because they were on the lower level of the staircase. And as I go up the stairs, like I get stronger, I get more tired, you know, like mm-hmm. it's that resistance that creates strength. You know what I mean? And so to feel when I'm in the middle of the staircase, you know, say now, like, you know, maybe I'm on like tier six or seven or eight or something it feels like I am weaker when I'm on that level, but it's simply because I'm on this higher level that I've never been on before. And maybe I am a little tired after going all this way. You know, I just, I've visualized that metaphor in my life to help me walk through this stage of my recovery, to recognize and give myself grace that like, you might not feel as healed as you did in the beginning, when you first start taking, you know, you first start taking stairs and you can bound up the first 20 and it feels fine. But by the 50th one, you're like huffing and puffing and you're like, why do these stairs feel so much harder? 
when does it stop? Make it stop. Yeah. I didn't sign up for this. No, yeah. no. I, I love that analogy because uh, it's something that I've been reminding myself of in a similar way, but that's just a beautiful way to put it. Uh, so for anyone that's listening that isn't familiar with what I've been navigating this year, I, tell us. Um, I'm i almost a year in my recovery. So I'm almost yes. a year. Uh, oh, almost a year already. That's so cool. Yeah. So in August will be my one year sober So that is super freaking exciting. I'm so very much looking forward to that. And it's really interesting because it wasn't one of those things that I was like, oh my gosh, a year's going to be so far away. How am I going to make it? Am I ever going to be a year sober? So I don't say that to minimize like how hard it can be in recovery. Because again, just to bounce back on what I said earlier, I attest so much of my sobriety sticking to the work that I did before I gave up alcohol. So when I finally last summer went to Hazelden and um, decided to in in like St. Paul, Minnesota, right? I went to Center City. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, I went to Center City. Uh, My first day was August 31st. So when I made the decision to give up alcohol, it was truly the first time in my life that I was doing it for me. So, so many other times I had tried to cut out alcohol or be sober curious or do a dry January or this or that was for someone else's approval. It was more so to prove to my husband that I could do it essentially. Right. I know many of our listeners relate. And that's a big thing that I don't think gets talked about enough. So I want to I want to highlight that because what's made this year, quote unquote, easier for me is I was 100% committed to doing it for me, learning about addiction, diving headfirst into my own triggers, which again, I was very self-aware and I knew a lot of what they were, but I had people around me who were willing to listen to me and understand and not throw back into my face that I had a drinking problem and that they could drink, but I couldn't and gaslighting me with my own, uh, disease essentially, right? Like my own, my own struggle is like, I'm well aware that I'm coping with alcohol. I'm well aware that's, that's the problem here, but I'm also well aware that that's a symptom. Yes, absolutely. Like that's, it's never the problem, right? Like alcohol being in your life, isn't the the root of the problem. hundred percent, hundred percent. And it was for, it was the first time in my life that two things happened. One, I was 100% doing it for myself. So I was ready, willing, and committed to make sobriety stick for me and my future. And two, I was, it was the first time in my life that I was surrounded by people who weren't shaming me for how I was coping with alcohol. I had people in my life that wanted to love me unconditionally, despite the fact that I had a substance abuse disorder. Yeah, they were lovingly pushing you forward to try to heal and get better instead of shaming you. Like, why are you drinking this much? How could you blah, blah, blah. Or I can't believe you did that. Or I can't believe you said that. Or I can't believe this. Or I can't believe that. It's like, 
some of the things that I said or did while I was drinking, I'd say or do while I'm sober. So that was also really confusing to be navigating that within. It's like, well, that is actually what I meant. And I said, and I, I, I would say that if I was drinking or not drinking, but again, just to, to bring it back to the point here, uh, it was the first time in my life that I was willing to do it for myself. Mm -hmm. And I had people in my life who were loving me through the process of healing and almost having that reinforcement was more powerful than all of the years that I had tried to stop on my own. Just that positive reinforcement. I didn't realize how desperately I needed someone to recognize that even an attempt to stop drinking is progress. Oh, for sure. Like, yes. Thank you for saying that. I am like team harm reduction to a fault. You know, it's just, you know, even attempting to like even having the thought that you want to stop or that you want to figure out how to drink less. That is a fucking awesome self-aware thought. You know, like 100%. that is a step in the right in the right direction without those first thoughts like there is no future in that goal mm, yeah and if you don't have that kind of support in your life it makes staying sober really fucking hard because you might have someone in your life who doesn't recognize that as progress there i can i can list out countless times that i was sober for weeks for months and i didn't have positive reinforcement from anyone other than myself and that was really hard for me because eventually I'd hit a point where I was at the threshold of the trigger and I'd have a fuck it moment and I'd drink again because it's like there was no one really other than myself outside of myself recognizing any attempts at progress that I was actively making. Exactly. And so I'm constantly saying community. Find mm -hmm. a community, find your people. It's so, it's so important. So important. And people that can speak the language that you need to hear. Yes. Not just, uh, yes, for the community aspect, because there's strength in numbers, but it's because there are people that get it and they, they know how to support you. Yes. And they even, um, I think people that speak that language can recognize when you aren't even sharing honestly or being yourself because they recognize themselves in you. I think that's why you and I get along so well and why we've just been like tight since that, like our first, you know, coaching call that I hopped on with you. It's just, I see you, you see me and, and we can just call each other on shit. You know, you've done that a lot in my life, you know, mm -hmm. asking me like, Hey, why aren't you showing up? On your What's like, going on? Can I, <laughs> can I challenge you? Can I challenge you on that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> Will you tell me a little bit about your feelings of like looking into Hazleton or like realizing that you, um, because you are such a, okay, I just got to say it again. You are a powerful, successful boss coach. Like you are strong in everything that you do. And I love that you had that strength before you dove into like a professional treatment program. But what in that, I guess, like, how did you come to that um, decision to go and look into Hazleton and bring yourself there for? For outpatient was it outpatient or inpatient treatment? Um, I did a hybrid, so it was not the full. Um, 
it wasn't the full inpatient treatment because I technically didn't qualify that because I actually wasn't drinking enough. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't drinking enough. In fact, I barely qualified for the day program that I did okay. because at the time I had, I had made so much improvement in the frequency of consumption and the amount of consumption and things like that. For me, it was just like, I need to do this because the last resort, the only thing that I hadn't looked at was my environment. And so I'd made all these other changes and I can, I can go back and reference what they are, but the only thing that hadn't changed in my history with alcohol was my environment and my relationship. So you were at a place going like, you know, I've done all this work and I'm still really friggin' struggling <laughs> and I just mm-hmm. don't know what it is that I'm keep on going back to alcohol. Like what, what is this about? So it gave me the opportunity. Um, so it was, uh, it was, I, I did stay there uh, for five weeks, um, but it was a hybrid program where half of the day we did like community and learning and groups. And then the rest of the day, uh, if I would have lived in the area, I could have worked. Um, I could have worked since I am an online coach and I, I work from home. I could have worked, but I took that whole space and time to really dive deep into the biggest triggers for me again. And also look honestly at my relationship because that was something that I wasn't doing. Your relationship home. with what? With my, with alcohol and my husband. Oh, yeah. So it was really an opportunity for me to be removed from the environment that I was using in to actually look at my relationship and not have my relationship reflected back to me every day. Because that's the hardest thing about the the relationship dynamic, especially if it's like a partnership, husband, wife, couple situation you're living under the same roof is it's hard to heal in the environment that keeps hurting you yeah especially when yeah the the uh, partner in the situation isn't um understanding or recognizing with compassion the changes that are needed for you to heal Yeah. So that was a big thing for me to be, again, surrounded by people who could see me, hear me, understand me. I was actually uh, not having to juggle the responsibility of doing all the work myself, which at home, it felt like I was doing my work, but I was also doing his work. And I was, you know, trying to morph myself into this version of me that would be acceptable to him. If I could just, you know, make this go away or fix this, then maybe I'll be accepted. And what I realized when I was at Hazelden is I was desperately seeking acceptance and I wasn't getting it and I wasn't going to get it because the person that I was seeking it from wasn't willing to participate in the healing as well. And it was kind of like at a crossroads. When you're saying that you were doing your work and his work, do you mean like the emotional work? Yeah, hundred percent. The emotional work. Girl. Yeah, yeah. And it was getting to the point where, prior to me going, I felt like my body was in this fight, flight, or freeze response. It was like I, I was hitting that threshold of, I can't keep shouldering all of this emotional work myself. Like being my 
resourced support person and then being your resource support person when you're stressed or things aren't going well in your day or our children are stressing you out. It's like, I was hitting this, like burnout is the best way to describe it. It's just like, I couldn't keep juggling all the balls. It felt like I was living a double life, honestly. Oh my gosh. Thank you for saying that. I've said that so many times that I've, I've ha- I swear, like, it's not like I felt like I was living a double life. The fact is, is that I was living a double life. I was a certain person around certain people and completely switched and like morphed into like a completely different lifestyle and way of being around other people when I was using before I found recovery. And I was trying to please everybody else. And I had no idea what that meant for me to be happy, genuinely, like for myself. What do I want? Yeah. Yeah. In in the 12-step programs, and I I know that you're, you've been, you know, familiarized with all this too. um, It says uh, we can carry the message of recovery, but we cannot carry anybody else through their recovery. It doesn't work that way. Um, we can carry the message, not the addict, because like you said, shouldering someone else and all of the baggage and the work that they need to do in order to heal, like it is unbearably heavy and it takes us down quicker than we can save them. Yeah. So it is, it's really interesting that you say that it's like, it's it, the best analogy I can give it is like, you're trying to get water or like air to breathe like you're swimming and you have this like bag of rocks and like mm-hmm. half of the rocks for yours but then other people keep putting their rocks in your bag and you're just like healing and you toss one out and you're like closer to the surface and it's just like everything was at that time in my life really weighing me down and I couldn't see it's like the analogy of like, you can't see the fire burning from inside the house Mm, right? or something like that is like, that's, that's where I was internally. It was just like, just trying to get some clarity right? and someone to see me. You like accepted the fact that like your house is always on fire and that you just have to figure out how to live within the fire instead of realizing that like you can actually get out. And like a lot of people don't live in burning houses. Mm -hmm. Most people don't. Most people don't. Yeah. Yeah. Most healthy people that are trying to move forward and do things for themselves. Mm-hmm. So going to Hazelden then and realizing, like, I feel like you had so many epiphanies, like many of us do when we seek like professional counseling and healing. When did you come to terms with the fact that you had to make some big changes in your relationship with your husband in order to do what you needed to do for you? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm trying to like put myself back in that position. Um, and it's really interesting to be in a relationship. It's, it's very confusing. I should say, I I remember my first meeting with my counselor and I was afraid to be honest with her because I was so worried about like speaking my truth and having someone actually listen and validate my truth. I was so used to it being invalidated. I remember talking to her and sharing some of the things. And I said, well, he's going to say this and he would say this and he would say that. And she's like, I'm not worried what he's going to say. I want to know how you felt. Yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> like then, how you feel like without him even 
Like, and I remember you know. telling her, I said, I'm actually afraid to tell you the truth because I'm so used to it being weaponized against me. I'm so used to my own truth being weaponized against me. I'm having a hard time being honest. And she's like, well, be as honest as you can be. And I was, and I opened up and that was really helpful um, to have someone who actually wanted to listen to me and wasn't, it wasn't like a competing narrative anymore. It was like my, what I had to say was given space and room to breathe. You know, and I, I struggle with that myself in therapy. I feel like um, you and I have both been in situations with different people in our lives that have for years uh, put us, put down our truth or essentially it's that term gaslighting, right? Like to be like, Hey, like it's actually not that bad or you're overreacting. Why are you overthinking? You think too much. Um, whatever. <laughs> I guess I don't know, like the, the situations and circumstances that he would use whenever you were trying to speak your truth. Um, but yeah, coming to terms, especially in professional therapy to be like, you know, I don't know what's real because I feel like, like, these are my feelings and I feel like I'm not insane. I feel like I'm trying to tell you that this is real. And at the same time, I feel like a big, like, like dramatic person for like trying to tell you that this was, this is how I feel. That's exactly what it was. And she said, I remember she distinctly said, what you're describing to me is gaslighting. And I said, logically, I understand that, but emotionally, I feel very confused. And she goes, that's exactly what that's gaslighting, gaslighting <laughs> is, right? Is, yeah. and, and, and so that was just really interesting to have that confirmed because again, logically, I could feel it and I knew what was happening, but to be the person experiencing that and having to try to explain that to the person that's doing it to you is a very, it's a very uncomfortable place to be in. You have a hard time opening up to that person and being honest. And I think the biggest thing for me that would make me so frustrated and, and honestly angry is when I would be trying to explain my feelings and it could be something related to why I was drinking. It could just have been any honest feelings that I was trying to express. A lot of what I would hear back is that's not reality. Mm. And, or his emotional experience was made more important than mine so it was like mine was minimized and whatever he was feeling or experiencing became more important so there's this this power dynamic in our relationship where again it's like I'm swimming with this bag of rocks just trying to get some air to breathe and I can never get to the surface because this person has already shut down or minimized anything I had to say it's like anything I ever had to say never really got validation yeah. Well, it's like no matter how much you like fight or try to get somebody to see your point of view, you you can't make that person listen and absorb what you're saying. hundred percent. And he has admittedly told me he shut me out. And, and that was that's very hurtful to hear, because at, at some point it's like I don't even want to go to you with any anything I'm 
feeling or experiencing because I know what your response or your reaction is is going to be. And circling it back to why that feels so confusing and frustrating is that's not reality, actually. I'm telling you what my experience and my reality is. And you're telling me that your reality is more important than mine. And I would explain, I would say, what you're describing to me is your reality. And I don't see it that way. I'm Again, we're at an impasse here because you're unwilling to see things from my point of view. And as an empathetic person, which I know I know you are, that's what makes it confusing because you take the time to understand their point of view and where they're coming from and what their feelings are. But when it's not reciprocated, you feel about like this big and I'm like using my fingers, like yeah. you're touching, like touching, like there's no room here. Like I'm just this small, insignificant aspect of your life. And that feels very, again, to go back to what you said earlier, dehumanizing. Yeah. You know, and it, it, uh, I don't mean to throw myself in the middle of this, but uh, my reality is that when you're speaking about this, it makes me think of the um, narcissistic tendencies that I've had from in my situation it was it's been my dad my whole life and for you it was your now ex um and yeah it's just trying to cater to someone else's feelings due to like fear of retaliation fear of like that like an outburst or just fear of being like shut down and just discounted like being told like I guess fear of like being made fun of you know, like that's mm-hmm. just, that's my history of just like, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, you know, that's not real or whatever, you know, and you're just like, there's no getting through to that. There's, there's nowhere to go from there. Like it takes two to connect. And when mm-hmm. one part of the connection is actively saying this part is down, like it is like, you cannot reach this server. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well, like how can you, how, you can't go that way then. Like that, there is no connection there. You can't, and you can't communicate with someone with a broken server who admittedly shuts you down, right? Who admittedly doesn't want to listen to anything you say, right? Because they are so attached to their narrative of you and their perspective of who you are, um, or even a situation like you know, with or your, a situation. If it was like alcohol in general, and like you know god i've heard it so many times like normal people can handle it or whatever like why can't you drink or whatever it is you know or or just stop yeah yeah, yeah. just 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 stop great einstein never thought about that like yeah thanks for the advice Fucking how, how did i miss that one like just just quit drinking oh yeah, yeah. great like <laughs> on a, a logical level that makes sense but subconsciously all the patterns that are either dependent on it or crave it or have learned to cope with it are just, they just shut down. They're not listening to you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's, it's, if it was that easy, we wouldn't have as many people struggling with substances as we do. Right. Right. And like, that's the thing is the person that refuses to do the connecting or to refuses to put themselves in your shoes and see where you're coming from is often the person that says like, well, just quit. Or, well, I just, um, you know, why can't you just, and then like fill in the blank here. 
But it's like that person has officially given up or just is not actively trying to literally see you and hear you and understand you and help you in your situation. They've officially like cut you off and said, like, if you don't do it this way, then I don't know how to help you. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So, where where are you at now? Like, how do you feel in in like your connection um, with with yourself, I guess, now that you've been sober on almost one year? Mm, it's a night and day difference I mean I still have moments that and days that are confusing because it's still unlearning who I was in a relationship with someone for over 17 years yeah right and that's not just like you wake up one day and that just doesn't matter anymore to you because you were that person or that version of you existed even though it was growing and changing and evolving, there's still a version of you that existed in a pattern. And for me, that was a version of me that existed in a pattern with this other human mm -hmm. for over 17 years. Mm -hmm. And there are days that can be really confusing. But for me personally, wow. I mean, instantly when I moved out of the house last summer, within... I don't know, within the first two months, I dropped like 10 or 15 pounds and I wasn't actively trying. Um, it wasn't even on my radar. It was just all of the stress weight that my nervous system was hanging on to in that relationship. Um, and, and my nervous system really actually starting to regulate, yeah. um, that was probably one of the most eye-opening things for me, knowing what I know and the work that I do and seeing that happen firsthand for me personally was pretty like, pretty jarring. Um, I remember going to a Target with some of the girls that um, were in my unit. And so this must have been within the first four weeks because I was still at Hazelden. We went to a Target and one of the girls wanted to weigh herself because they didn't actively let us do that um, in treatment uh, for for obvious reasons because a lot of eating disorders and and addiction and alcoholism it's you know like we kind of talked about but um, parallels um, but we were at Target and she wanted to weigh herself and I was like oh I'll step on it not really expecting to see much of a difference I had to literally step on the scale three times <laughs> because I was that shocked at at the changes and how my body had had so quickly responded to uh being in that environment being versus being out of that environment and i guess where i'm getting at is i felt safe yeah i think it was like it made me realize and i think this is where my healing took a massive jump in in the right direction is I started to realize, wait a second, maybe that relationship was more toxic than I thought it was. Maybe I, I, I clearly wasn't feeling safe. Something in my nervous system wasn't feeling safe in that, um, in that relationship, but to really see that the one big change in my life that was different was living in that home together versus living on my own. And now I've been on my own ever since. Um, but to answer your question, so much has changed. I mean, I think I've come into a deeper level of trust in myself and in God and the universe and 
my soul's path and purpose. And I've, I don't think I could have experienced, I think I had outgrown where my soul was trying to go. And now it's just, it's just a deeper trust than I've ever experienced. Um, I'm more connected with my intuition, my spiritual gifts. I feel stronger and more confident, which is wild because I felt strong and confident before. Yeah. (laughs) So to to be here and saying that now is like, it's just a different level of embodiment. I guess I, I, this can the only way I can describe that. Um, Can you you explain like, oh, I mean, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but what does the word mean to you? Embodiment embodiment um truly like dropped in I guess there's so many different ways you can describe it for but for me it's like a dropped in feeling and knowing and um essentially you're living what you preach it's just like it's how you're living it's who how you're showing up it's it's dropped in in the body like an internal it's like an integrity of like all of the different facets of who you are yeah it's just like I it's just the way I live mm-hmm. it's just the way I show up I don't have to force myself to be that way it's who I am like a full lifestyle of recovery. full lifestyle 100 percent. yeah it just feels so natural like now I kind of look back and I'm like how could I live my life any any other way it's like I don't even want to return to use because I can see both sides of the equation and I I know where that road goes yeah it's just a lot of dead ends you know it's it's a lot of dead ends it's a lot of I mean it's a lot of unknown and uncertainty which is kind of where I'm getting at there's a lot of unknown and uncertainty in my life I'm I'm navigating the unknown every single day. So I went you're from You're new to so many th- you're new to your okay, first of all, you're new to singlehood after 100%. 17 years of being in a relationship with the same man. Listen, I have never dated in my entire life. Like that's how wild this is. Like that's how much uncertainty and unknown people talk about like I don't know what to post on Instagram. I'm like I don't know how to use a dating app. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, it's like I don't know what to post today or I don't know what to say today and I'm like I don't know how to meet someone. I don't know how to say hi to someone (laughs) that I might be interested in because I'm confused. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, it's like the, that's like the wild, wild west to me, which is like terrifying and exciting because it's this new chapter of my life that I don't think I ever really got to experience because Mm -hmm. we, of where we were at when we got pregnant and started our family. Yeah. Yeah. And and on the whole other side, it's a whole new world of what life is like, not just new to dating, but now new to dating without alcohol being on a first date or in any other situation like that must be wild. It is wild, but also really cool because I don't have to be anyone I'm not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's like the beautiful gift of sobriety is like radical honesty and authenticity. It's like, I don't give a fuck. If you don't like me at this stage in my life, great. There's going to be plenty of people that do, right? And I mean, I do believe in like leading with our best foot forward, but I'm not out here to impress someone to like land the next relationship. Like I know what I'm looking for. 
and I know what I want and I know what I'm worthy of and I know what I deserve. And that all feels very embodied. I love, love that you've done so many years of self-healing and um, like learning about who you are and how to show up to the best of your ability in your own life before the final, I don't even want to say final because we're always moving, just like before this last most recent chapter of cutting alcohol out of your life because you know who you are inside of yourself. Um, I feel like that is not something that a lot of people have when they go into treatment or um, maybe it's maybe their journey isn't through professional help and healing like that. Maybe just like quitting the alcohol, quitting the substance, whatever it is, even like lifestyle changes, you know, like starting to go to the gym, you know, um, cutting out like fast food, um, you know, or (laughs) cutting up your credit cards, (laughs) you know, any major life change like that, because you are trying to put down a toxic coping mechanism that's creating your unmanageability in your life. Like, putting that down and figuring out who the hell am I without leaning on that thing to make me feel better in the moment? How can I just feel better authentically because of who I am? And so finding that confidence in yourself is what like led you to say, you know what, I am going to check myself into Hazelden and figure out even on a deeper level more about like how I can stand up for myself and show up for myself to move forward. And that's like the coolest thing ever because it leads you now to have a, a year of sobriety, but also like you know, you are just, I don't know. It's like the the coolest, best level that I've ever seen from Kelsey. Mm, I love that so much. And I'm not going to toot my own horn and give myself so much credit. Like I will throw myself under the bus and say I was stubborn as fuck. Like it took me so long to actually go to treatment and get the help and ask for help outside of myself. So mm. I'm not going to say like, I'm not going to take so much credit for that. Like I was an asshole. Like I I'm was an asshole. That- I'm not saying that you weren't scared. Oh, no, no, but I mean, just like stubborn. Like, I think a lot of people are stubborn, especially when it comes to like alcohol and giving that up. But what I've realized, which is something that I wanted to touch on that um, you were saying earlier is what I realized is how much codependency I had not only with alcohol and how that was like a codependent relationship in my life but also just like my relationship and my marriage and codependency there where a gift that I've been given on the other side of that is I have realized I don't have any voids to fill I don't need anything outside of my life that is that is a message that very clearly dropped in uh while I was at Hazelden was I don't need this or you to complete me yeah. I was realizing like I am already whole and complete and enough. I'm not searching and desperately throwing myself into even dating, for example, right now. Like it took me months, months to even like put myself on an app and like be like willing to entertain the possibility <laughs> of a relationship because it's like I didn't really need it. Like I've been like happy and confident and secure in myself and rediscovering myself. And that has been so fun. Yes. Trying to figure out who you are and what your lifestyle and what your day-to-day looks like as a newly sober, like, I guess, I don't know, just like as the real version of you, like Mm -hmm. as someone who is stepping forward, honestly, without these like 
coping mechanisms, you know, that are filling all like various different voids. Like it is just like finding the confidence to stand tall, stand straight and say, you know what, this is who I am. And then you know that you are walking through life like that. So if someone wants to come walk alongside you, great. Company's really awesome. However, mm-hmm. I don't need you to come pick me up and carry me the way that you were, you know, in your relationship. Yeah. And that has just been really eye-opening to be experiencing and be learning and living out in real time how secure I am in myself and how much more secure I am in myself than I ever really gave myself credit for. Yeah. Um, Because it wasn't, it wasn't being reflected back to me in my marriage. So I did feel like I needed validation. And I think we all do to an extent need validation, acceptance and positive enforcement that you were hundred percent. Like we all need that and we all deserve it, but I'm not throwing myself under the bus anymore and like I'm not hurting myself because I'm not getting it or hiding parts of yourself because you're afraid that if you showed your whole self you wouldn't get the positive reinforcement that you're looking for yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely I'm a huge fan of just taking the mask off and just being like you know what this is what it is Mm -hmm. um it's terrifying to do that but without doing that and showing up as like your real self like what you like with your therapist you know like I'm you know, saying like, I am afraid to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm afraid to tell you my truth and show you who I really am. That is such a scary place to be. Being afraid to it be is, real self. Like, what does that even mean for your life or your livelihood? It is a scary place to be. And it's a scary place to be when you're so used to minimizing yourself mm-hmm. and your own experience that you're afraid even tell your truth like that's where I was I remember just being so terrified like I look back and I'm like I look back and I don't even recognize myself sitting in that chair talking to her because I was so confused and I was so you know like I know what my truth is and I want to speak it but I'm so used to minimizing myself or being invalidated that I don't even know if it's worth my energy. That's where I was in that position. I can relate in in saying like, well, I'm I'm so afraid to say my truth because once I do, I know that as soon as this these words come out of my mouth, that means then that I can't go back. And that now the truth is out and that means that this foundation that I've been desperately trying to make work and to try to stand like stable on, it will crumble below me. Like, and I will have to move on if I say this truth. And that means that I'm officially like calling the shots on the fact that like I'm, I need to change and change is scary. I think like that, that goes hand in hand with that stubborn feeling that you were feeling. Mm-hmm. I, always say that I was the most stubborn person in the room when I went to treatment I was the person in the corner of the room with her arms crossed refused to talk for the first week just didn't know um how to even just exist in other people's company without alcohol or drugs like I was terrified to tell my truth because I realized it meant change if I was accepting help and I had if I was like if I wanted to move forward I had to do the things that I was afraid of doing, like not drink and get through a day without filling parts of me that like, I didn't know how to do that. You know, I, I was afraid to do that. Yeah, it's so wild. I mean, I think back and 
a part of me was really excited to be there. So for me, it wasn't that I was stubborn in admitting that I had a problem with alcohol. I think I had already done that multiple times and and lived that where I was hung up and really kind of stuck. And what my truth was at that time was saying out loud that I was unhappy in my marriage. Mm-hmm. And when I finally did that, it was like, there is no going back. And it was, um, that was really hard because never in a million years did I want to or anticipate getting divorced. So I was clinging on to just like who I am as a person. Like I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Like I'm willing to play the long game and hang in there and like commitment is a com- is commitment and we're in this together. But I also didn't feel like we were in this together anymore you know and all you want but when one part of the the couple or like in in any relationship when one person isn't matching the Mm -hmm. energy then then what the hell yeah absolutely so saying my truth out loud that I was unhappy in the relationship and then taking the time while I was there to yeah look at my relationship with alcohol but also really deeply look into why I wasn't happy in my marriage and be honest about the things that I didn't feel like I had anyone to go to because at the time I didn't have anyone in my life that was really openly talking about their marriages and whether they were really happy or not. I mean, we see everyone on social media and we see everyone's highlight highlight reel, (laughs) but like, how are you really? Yep. You know, and, and do you have anyone in your life that if you aren't happy in your marriage, you can talk to without judgment, without judgment. Those are the key words there. Like, that's the thing though, is like when you're not happy in a relationship and you feel like you have no one to talk to about it, what a huge red flag, because what that statement says is that you can't even go to your supposed to be life partner with how you're feeling about your life partner like they're supposed to be your person you know and to not feel safe to go to them about a topic like it's all too common you know and it just again more mask wearing you know but when it's the person who you share a roof with and a kitchen with and a bed with like what are you what are you supposed to do like when is the right time to well those are a lot of those are a lot of things that affect the quality of your life and you know, with intimacy, right? That was a big thing for me is like, yeah, having someone to to talk to and open up about like, that's intimacy. Like it's mm-hmm. not just sex and the sex can be there without intimacy. And mm-hmm. that was also something that was really confusing to me that I started to unlearn and like dive into and look at like, am I, are my wants and needs and desires really being fulfilled here? Or you know, is this more of just like a performative thing that we've fallen into a pattern of like, right? you know, are, are my needs, wait a second, like, is this an even exchange, right? Am I feeling fulfilled here? It was just, I started to look at and ask myself questions that I think I was too afraid to do on my own because that would make it real. I think a lot of it, a lot of what addiction is, is being afraid of reality, right? 
It's afraid mm-hmm. of like, well, if I take the mask off or if I tell somebody the truth or if I even tell myself the truth, right? If I get out of this denial, then I'm going to have to do something about like, or I'm going to have to, first of all, accept that whatever this is, is over or that it's not working, whether it's a relationship with alcohol, a relationship with someone else, a relationship with yourself, like, yeah. It goes, it's so interesting, right? Because it goes hand in hand because it's like, is it a chicken? Is it the chicken or the egg? Mm -hmm. So for me, it was like, I was unhappy in my marriage, but not willing to talk about it. And then the alcohol was the crutch, right? And the alcohol was the coping mechanism. So it's like, Oh, if we get that out, then I have to look at this and I don't want to look at this. So let's keep this right. So it was like, I had these two things that were fueling this vicious cycle. That was the big catalyst for a lot of our, you know, breakdown in communication, our resentment, our whatever. But, um, that was just really interesting. I think anyone can look at that. Like, yeah the alcohol or the substance or the drug is the coping mechanism, right? But again, like, is that always really the problem? Probably not. Like, are you in a toxic work situation, an environment that is increasing your your consumption? Yep. Right? Are you unsatisfied or unhappy or unfulfilled, not seen, heard, appreciated, respected in a in a marriage? Like what is actually happening in that relationship is it within yourself is it within the relationship or the job or whatever that's fueling the coping mechanism and are you hanging on to the coping mechanism because in your brain has convinced you that it makes whatever you're tolerating better it's it's a weird it's a weird cycle so i i think hazelden truly saved my life because it it broke that pattern for me yeah it's it, it brings you to a place to feel safe in a room sitting in a chair learning all about the things that you've either been not doing due to fear or have been doing due to fear <laughs> or, mm-hmm. and just like not showing up the way that you know that you deserve and the way that you know feels like correct mm-hmm. in your humanness yeah i i freaking relate holy shit that brings me right back to 2019 when i was at prairie st john's that's insane um I what there were so many things that were on my mind. Um, I was wondering more about um, when you were like, say, like when I was in your in your coaching program before you went to Hazelden, did you feel um, were there times when you and I were having discussion that you realized that there was some kind of split in between like what you were coaching and how you were presenting yourself online? And trying to continue to teach and help others, because I know that that part of your heart is always you like that part. That is always Kelsey, strong, badass, helping other women. Mm. Did you feel like a painful, like confusing split of like your own personal life versus what you were saying or helping others through at the time? Because I brought I brought a lot of my personal shit to you. Like I brought like boy problems. I brought like my situation with my dad. I brought like my imposter syndrome with building my coaching program. I brought my addiction and like, you know, my step work and all this stuff. Like I brought all of it forward. So thank you for catching all that for me (laughs) and helping Mm -hmm. me walk through it. Did any of that like bring up any split in you and kind of, I don't know, was that like a catalyst? I don't know if I'd say it's a catalyst per se. Um, So what's interesting is like when my coaching hat goes on, it's not about me anymore. Mm -hmm. 
and I'm sure you can, you know, relate to that or experience that or have experienced that when we're, we're working together. It's like, you're the focus and you're there for you. There have been plenty of times when I'm coaching clients where something in them is reflected back to me as like, Ooh, that feels a little sticky. I'm going to kind of like put a little pin there and maybe in dive into it, you know, in my own time is like, what is being reflected back into in from them? That is something that I want to look at within me. So yeah, I would say there were definitely times that came up. Um, but I never felt like I was doing a disservice or being an imposter because deep down, I, I tried to keep that humanity uh, and, and human to human. Like I'm an imperfect human. I'm fucking shit, shit up all the time. Like I'm not out here like living, you know, I'm I'm living my best life, right? But I'm not like I'm not holding myself to this standard that I can't make mistakes. That has taken a lot of work. That has taken a lot of, you know, setting down of my own ego and and getting back to this place of we're all we're all one. Mm-hmm. Um but when coaching hat goes on, coaching hat goes on. And I try not to make it about me. I will say in the last year, so 2022, as I was really unlocking a lot of like diving into shame. So I was diving into a lot of shame, uh, sexual shame. And I was starting to dive into relationship and my marriage and what I liked and what I didn't like and and also how alcohol played a role. I will say 2022, I felt the most imposter syndrome. It was harder to separate what someone else was going through with what I was going through because there was a lot of parallel and a lot of like crossing. Um, but now that alcohol has been out of my life, it's a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love the way that you worded that. I feel, I feel like the reason why I asked that yeah. um, is because I ask myself that same question and I am really grateful for your answer because I, uh, as you freaking know, in the whole world <laughs> that listens to this podcast, thank you guys for listening. Um, I am also fucking shit up all the time. My life is a hot mess all of the time. I don't know how to go about it all of the time. And I'm still going about it all of the time. (laughs) You're like dumpster fire, dumpster fire, dumpster fire. Didn't start that one. Go me. Didn't start that one. Go me. Okay. That one. Like I'm asking for help on all the fires. I threw all, I threw all the gas. Like (laughs) that one's totally mine. (laughs) But at the same time, I have been actively coaching and sponsoring and helping others through their life situations, whatever the, whatever they are, you know, like we all are going, you know, walking our own story. Right. And I am so grateful that you worded it the way that you did, because when I am coaching, my coaching hat goes on and I'm like enthralled in this other person's experience, whatever it is that they might need, whether it's, you know, I'm working and I'm helping someone find, you know, housing, you know, or Mm -hmm. a pair of shoes, you know what I mean? Like I'm invested in Mm -hmm. their recovery process and their lifestyle changes however they see fit. And so there have been times in me where I'll be speaking with someone and it's like the client said exactly something that I'm actually trying to figure out in my own life or something like a red flag that popped up, either a behavior of mine or a thought pattern or something. And then all of a sudden this client is bringing this to me and I'm like, ah, the universe is a sneaky bitch. Like Mm -hmm, (laughs) I mm -hmm, die. mm -hmm, So then I, mm -hmm. I help them with it. 
you know, in mm-hmm. the situation as best as I can. Or I just simply help them by saying, you know, I fucking relate to that because I woke up with that thought, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it helps me connect with myself through helping other people. It's like I'm doing my inner healing work constantly through helping other people with their inner healing work. And it's just like exactly, you know, something that you said earlier on was we're all walking each other home. Mm-hmm. And like, no, we don't have to be totally healed and and understand, you know, what that even means. Like, I, I will not be fully healed if I am 99 years old, you know, like, and I don't plan to stop doing personal work and, and recognizing mm-hmm who I am and what I need to move forward, you know, but yeah, that's the, that's the thing about like doing this kind of work is realizing like, I might not have all of the answers. And that's something that you taught me is that it's not about needing all of the answers. It's simply about the connection piece. Someone just needs to be heard, seen, and even just validated in their feelings to move forward and say like, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm holding space for you while you figure it out. And I'm here with you, you know, like. It's interesting that you brought that up. And it's interesting, you know, like you said, the universe is a sneaky bitch multiple times this week to multiple different clients. The message came through me and I'm going to share it here. Sometimes the best plan is having no plan. (laughs) Because we think. I'm like maniacally laughing over here because I'm such a planner. I like have such anxiety when I don't have structure. And you're fucking right. And I hate it. I I hate it too. Like my brain is an asshole, but what I've really learned is the more I can let go and surrender the plan. In fact, almost every single time I try to control the plan Mm -hmm. or hyper plan, I need to make adjustments anyway, because life happens or I change my mind or life happens. (laughs) Right. Or sometimes life even happens. Or maybe life happens. Um, But I found that uh, sometimes the best plan is to have no plan and be in almost like a blank slate mentality because it gives you the opportunity to, one, trust yourself more than you thought you did and or an answer that you weren't looking for presents itself. Yeah, sometimes we don't even know what we want or need until we're like kind of shoved into it. And then we're like, oh, like I wouldn't have chosen this, but maybe that's why I needed to be kind of like pushed, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I wouldn't like actively like there's not, I don't know. It's kind of, it's like, you know, I wouldn't have chosen um, to be struggling with active addiction Mm-hmm. And suicidal ideation at 26. Like, it wasn't my choice. It's not like I grew up that way and was like, you know, it would be fun at 26. I want that to happen in my life. When I grow up, I want to be. Yeah, like not alive. Cool. Love that. Yeah. Um, But no, like being able to like recognize that I am there and accept that that's where I'm at. And then recognize like, hey, I actually have no fucking clue what I need. Because I'm in this situation where I, my best interest, like, I don't know how to, I don't know what that is. I need someone else to help guide me. And I love that, you know, there's coaches at different, um, with like in different like wellness areas of life, there's different treatment centers, there's different, like there's so many different places that we can seek knowledge. And, you know, a lot of it, a lot of it is, you know, finding random people online. (laughs) When this, hey, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, right? I mean, (laughs) so often it's like, I have found 
people or connected to people, I'm like, I don't even know what I'm looking for right now. Right? Like, I don't even know this, that, or the other thing. And someone will pop in my feed and they say something. It's like, I needed that today. Or I go out in nature and it's quiet and I'm not thinking about my to-do list and I get an idea for the best program ever, you know, (laughs) Or, or like, uh, just so many different things when we take the opportunity to just be like, I, I don't have all the answers and I don't, maybe I don't need all the answers right now. Maybe I have enough answers or the right opportunity will present itself. And it gives us the opportunity to play with life a little bit more and get curious about what we want and need because one of my biggest frustrations and why I'm such a huge advocate for women and finding their voice and using their voice and getting curious about the quality of their life and what they want is so many of us so many of us and I can attest to this because I've coached hundreds probably thousands of women at this point yeah sometimes when I ask them what do you want they say, I don't know. No one's ever asked me that before. Yeah. Holy shit. And to just, it's just like, I want to like, let that hang there for a minute because I remember being in my late twenties or early thirties working with my first coach and first or second coach. Anyway, whenever I was exploring my business and really starting to think about what I wanted It was probably the first time in my life when someone outside of me asked me that unrelated to the life I was currently living. And genuinely with like the intention to help guide you towards what that is, which is even more scary. (laughs) Like actually getting curious about it. It's like, holy shit, I don't even know how to answer this question about what I want. Because for so many of us, we're conditioned to being who other people need us to be, to living a life that we should live and going to college. Why? Working in this job. Why? Because that's what was modeled for you. And that's what you saw. But is that truly what you want? And most of us don't really realize that we're doing something that we don't want to be doing until we're feeling unfulfilled. Yeah. And then when you don't know what you want, you are for sure not going to get it. 100%. 100%. And then that's why life feels like going through the motions for so many people. So yeah, my life looks like it's been flipped upside down, but I feel more in alignment living in a apartment Like, listen, let's put this into perspective here because, holy shit, I went from living in an almost 4,000 square foot home to an apartment by myself. And I feel (laughs) more aligned than I did there and happier in who I am as a person and how I'm showing up consistently every day. Yes. I don't wake up every day and it's reflected back to me how shitty of a person I am. Yeah. Or making me think that or perceive that or like there's no friction. I wake up, I'm me, I live my life, I do what I want, I'm of service to people. I fucking love it. Yeah. And that's what you've always needed. 
Like it's and that's what I've always needed. And that's what I've always wanted. And just to know, like, this is what I want. This is what I like to do. And that's okay. And it doesn't need to look like anything else for me to be happy. If you're listening to this and you're even remotely curious about a sobriety journey or going all in on your self-love journey or getting in a relationship with yourself and who you are and what you want, just freaking do it. Do it. That's truly how my healing journey started. Long before alcohol was out of my life, I threw myself all in on, at the time I would call it a personal development journey, but it was a spiritual awakening and honestly, a self-love journey. And that has what has transformed my relationship with food in my body. It's it's led me to work that I love. It's helped me get alcohol out of my life and stay sober. It's helped me realize what I'm willing to tolerate in a romantic relationship and what I want and what I need and I desire. All of it comes back to being on a spiritual and self-love journey. And I, I want to say again, too, like healing isn't linear. There's no such thing. And so if you don't know where to start, great, because you can start anywhere. Like it doesn't matter. It's just what do you think you could do that could make you feel a little bit better? Like if future you, like say uh, Mariah tomorrow is going to wake up and be grateful for something that Mariah today did, what would one of those things be? Do that thing mm -hmm. and just take small steps. Start to like... I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that I see is um, because I also did it trying to quit everything that has been um, harmful or just like not healthy in whatever way, trying to quit all of that all at once. And then being like, I don't know what my life is or who I am. And then you just go right back to everything, except sometimes even worse, um, because you're like, well, see, now I can't I can't do anything. I can't change. I can't blah, 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 because you tried to quit everything all at once and you tried to change everything in your life all at once. And that's just going to cause more struggle. So I think mm -hmm. the key is like that surrender piece and being gentle with yourself and learning how to be patient with the process. Um, it's like you're almost a year into sobriety. I'm almost four in my recovery journey. It will continue for years and years and years, I hope, because that means that I'm still alive and kicking. <laughs> like, yes. Oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah. Start small. Honestly, so much, so many of us know and this is the advice I, I like to give to anyone that's like struggling, like, where do I start? Because it can feel overwhelming to feel like you're completely overhauling your life. Most of us have that one thing that we know is holding us back. Like, what is the thing that is the most accessible right now? So for some people, it's, I'm tired of being an asshole to myself and these self-destructive thoughts. Great. Then start with mindset and start with learning how to talk to yourself more kindly, because that's, if you stick to that path, that's going to open you up to something else and you're going to be more ready and acceptable for whatever is meant to come next. Right. So in, for some people, it might be like, if I get alcohol out of my life, I know my life will be better. Great. Then start there. Start with learning how to live a sober lifestyle, right? Like how to show up in the identity of a non-drinker, right? It's like, we all have this one thing that we know if I change this, my life would be better. Awesome. Start there. Because if you know your life will be better as a result of changing that, 
you're already moving in the right direction. Right. That's actually like you're like, it's one of the very first steps that you can take. So you're already in the recovery. Because you've already admitted to yourself, like, I know my life will be better if this one thing changes. So it's like that thing is already the most accessible thing for you that you're motivated to change. So start there. Don't start with like something else. And I think that's where it gets distracting in like, like the weight loss space, for example, is like, well, if I just lost the weight, then I'd be happy. It's like, well, the weight loss isn't really the problem. It's probably your relationship with food or the way you speak to yourself. Exactly. Right. Like let that, let the weight loss, I always say, let the weight loss be a happy accident or a byproduct of learning how to love your body. Because at the very least, if the weight loss never happens, you learn to love yourself. And isn't that what you really wanted? Yes. I love that so much. Like I said, I could talk to you forever. I just, <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I feel like you're definitely, you gotta, you gotta come back on the podcast in the future because we are going to continue to grow and evolve and there'll just be even more to ask you about in the future. You being my coach is a huge part of why this podcast even exists. So I don't know how to say thank you on that. Oh, you're welcome. I love it so much. I remember, I truly remember when you told me the name for this podcast and instantly I got full body chills. And that's usually how my body and my soul responds to like someone's creative project is like, that's like confirmation, like, yes, move in that direction. And I remember when you told me that, because I firmly believe as well, that if we can have bigger conversations like this and normalize the hard stuff that we can really start to facilitate more healing. I want to say thank you for coming on. And this is phenomenal. And I will continue to follow you. I will continue to call you and panic and ask you for advice whenever I need. And um, I love you. And <laughs> thank you for being on Fuck Small Talk and helping it come alive. Thank you for having me. This has just been truly an honor, honestly. So proud of you. And I'm just, I'm so happy that I, um, I want to say to go follow Kelsey, go follow Kelsey on her Instagram. Her TikTok's awesome. Um, she's at Kelsey Mead. Underscore. underscore. Yep. That's what I thought. Yep. yep. Hell yeah. It'll be in the show notes. Um, go look her up. She's phenomenal. You'll learn so, so much about her and yourself at the same time. I love it so much. And because I'm all about speaking things into existence, I'll just drop a little nudge here that, we are rebranding my podcast as well. And I can't wait to have you back on oh as my a guest. God. Okay. Speak that into existence. I'm in. I'm saying yes. Where do I sign? Yes. Oh, yeah. So okay. we yeah, are yeah. in the process. Like we are in the works of rebranding the podcast and renaming it. And uh, I have never felt more aligned with where things are going in my business and my podcast journey. So oh, you will be on, we're going to call it season two because it's going to have a new name. So we're just going to. Well, well, if you're interested in the first part of her show before it's rebranded and all of the things, it's called the Vibrant Life Show. So mm -hmm. we'll have that in the show notes too. But Love it. Oh, okay. Thank you, Kelsey. Thank you, Mariah. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Fuck Small Talk is produced in partnership with Be Easy Marketing. It would mean so much if you took the time right now to follow the pod and give a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'll see you guys here next week for another Big Talk topic. Until then, let's keep moving forward.